everybody today's episode is brought to you by the raven cafe located at 142 north cortez street in historic downtown prescott arizona i love this place i eat there all the time and let me tell you why the raven cafe features a full all organic espresso bar and a wide variety of craft beers and wines their innovative menu is created with a focus on organic ingredients many of which come from local sources. So head on over there. Enjoy a relaxing and comfortable environment decorated with rotating art shows by local and regional visual artists. And on the weekends, a lineup of the best in up-and-coming local music. You don't want to miss out on the Raven Cafe. It's absolutely one of my favorite spots in town. So head on over to ravencafe.com and order online or stop by to catch a happy hour on their beautiful rooftop patio. to the Creative Convergence, an audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candace Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Hey everybody, today's guest on the podcast is Dana Tomsik-Golder. She is a classically trained singer and actress. She attended the American Conservatory Theater and received a degree in theater and creative writing from Cal State University, Northridge. Dana started working in TV and film as an intern for the classic soap opera, General Hospital. She began as a production intern and moved into casting after one fateful encounter in an elevator on the way home with Gwen Hillier. You always look like you know what you're doing around here and you move so fast. Wanna work in casting? Thus, her career in TV and film casting began. Under the mentorship of casting director Mark Teschner and associate Gwen Hillier, Dana learned the ins and outs of daytime scripted casting. With their help and astute advice, she moved to New York City to work for One Life to Live. After her stint in casting soap operas, Dana was awarded the coveted Academy of Television Apprenticeship in Casting and worked under the mentorship of Mike Fenton from The Godfather 2 and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and later, Eric Dawson of Designated Survivor and Nip Tuck, where she began scouting and developing a true eye and love and personality for people and talent. Dana made the leap into unscripted casting, working on such long-running reality hits as The Amazing Race, The Biggest Loser, Beauty and the Geek, and Cash Cab. Being in the trenches of real people casting has led her into producing her own pieces, selling pilots, and diving into the nooks and crannies of American culture nationwide. She thrives in uncovering real-life families, couples, and everyday Americans who never thought of sharing their life on TV. Her love for people and getting them to share their story is a true passion. If you'd like to learn more about Dana Thompson-Golder, please see our show notes for links to her social media accounts and website. Welcome to today's podcast. I am super excited about my guest today because she is somebody that I've had the privilege of knowing since she was a wee lass, kind of, as we were both wee lasses. And then she's turned into this big, fancy, big deal casting director. And so I was like, what do I have to do to coax you to be on my show? And she was like, um, I'll be on tomorrow. And I was so excited. 
<laughs> so please welcome Dana Tomzik. I'm so excited you're here. We, I want to talk to everybody. Well, what I love to do is have you walk me through your life. So I'm going to talk to you about all these things as you ebb and flowed in your creative process. But I can't wait to get into some of the the learning curves as an adult within the business that you've started, because that's going to be really interesting. I have a feeling knowing the stories I've heard off air in my history of knowing you. So this is fun. Um, where were you born? Oh my God, Candace. <laughs> Going straight at it. The way um, backs, way backs. Yeah. Um, I was born in San Francisco. Yeah. And how long were you, what was your life kind of like as a munchkin in a city in the Bay Area, let's say zero to five, six, seven, eight-ish? Were you a happy, creative kid? What was your family like? Oh my God. I, is this therapy? What's happening? I mean, sure. It um, could be a mix of it all. Why not? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, and also I totally didn't prep for this because I get mad when I'm interviewing talent and not that I'm talent right now, but you know what I mean? And they <laughs> over-prepare yeah. because you just need to be completely, I know you sent some questions and I was like, you know what? I just need to go in solid. So I love it. Okay. Um, well, I grew up in Marin County, which is the you know, the county across the Golden Gate Bridge. People don't know that, but it's the San Francisco Bay Area. And yeah, I was born, I was the youngest of four. So always trying to get attention, always trying to like, hello, look at me, <laughs> tap dance. And I was into plays and arts and theater almost immediately. And that I would, I would have to say that that was because of my siblings. So they were already into it. My dad played the piano, even though my parents were lawyers. Oh, so there was that artsy gene pool in there, even though maybe they had different life plans, but like it was in the family. It was in the lifestyle. 100%. Like if my dad grew up in a non-conservative family, he would have totally been a pianist. He yeah. would have been like a jazz pianist or, you know, it just was not acceptable. So isn't that interesting? I, it's funny because it's like, in some ways, I think that's generational. I think our generation is, come, you know, maybe our parents were a little more supportive because of their generation having to deal with that stuff. But it's interesting, and we'll get into this more later too, but being a parent, it's funny how, like, I'm like, oh God, I hope he, I hope he doesn't want to play in a band. <laughs> Even though like, if he does, I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, I support you a thousand percent. But at the same time, lawyers sounding real good, you know? <laughs> Oh, my mom offered me a car if I went to law school. She did. I was like, yeah, yeah, no. So let's go into your let's go into your middle school years. You're a performance kid. Were you doing stuff in school? Were you like in school plays? Were you just I did all the school plays. I was yeah. the lead in all the school plays. Um, my brother always told me you're only the lead because I was the lead and Sandy <laughs> Weldon knows me. And so that's why you're getting the parts. <laughs> And I believed in nepotism in, in middle school. <laughs> totally. Um, it was an artsy community. I mean, everyone knew someone who worked for the Grateful Dead. Everyone <laughs> had, had been to backstage at a dead concert. Everyone was like, oh, look at Jerry Garcia's belt. My mom got this because she used to do his herbs or whatever. <laughs> so, you know... That was important too, because music is a huge part of the Bay Area. You just, I yeah. don't think that you can be a part of that culture and not get some of it, even if you're just a kid who's being forced to do piano lessons, which yeah. my siblings were and I was not. Do you so, regret that now? Do you wish you had had the piano lessons? I regret so much. Like just now I was walking, taking a walk 
um, before I started my calls and I was just blasting Billy Joel, just thinking like, God, I just want to let it rip on the piano. I, I, you know, I can totally, no, no, no. But I know what you mean where you're like, gosh, I just wish I had that, that thing, that knowledge. Yeah. And I could do it, but like, really I'm, I'm, I consider myself an Adina Menzel slash casting director who uh, do I have to play? I mean, um, no. I, I just want to be a Broadway star. I want to yeah. be Patty Hall. Yeah. No, you don't have to play. You don't have to play. You're already Which diva status. Always, I've always admired about you because I remember way long ago in my little apartment, um, you busting out my guitar because I had a guitar. I did? Like, that's amazing yeah. because and that's probably like, when I was playing it. Yeah. You were like, Dana, you totally sing because I sang in college and, you know, was a classically trained singer. Like, let's do this together. We could do this together and like play at bars and do all these things. And I remember thinking like, no, which is not because of you, but because I was scared or because I didn't really play an instrument, even though my voice, you know, I had an amazing ear, I think. And I, my voice is my instrument, but also that was kind of the moment where I went, Oh, okay. I'm not, I'm not going to continue pursuing because this isn't in my heart the way it was in yours. Right. Yeah. I lived, I breathe, suffer, eat, drink by making music just in general. And whether it's in a bar in Carnegie hall, it just is something I have to do. So I get that. I mean, that's how I felt about acting post, you know, college and studying and all that stuff. I was like, eh, it's not the same thing for me. Like, I love it. I love the character structure. I love everything we all did and learned. And I, I put a lot of that, I think, in writing music. But I I, lo- I had lo- lost the luster for it where I kind of was like, this is not my, like, life plan. You know what I mean? In that similar Absolutely. way. Yeah. I didn't have yeah. that same drive to be like, I will suffer and do whatever just for the sake of the craft of acting. I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> I think I went I think I went through that as an actor also because I was kind of an actor because I was like I'm here to sing even though I did do the American Conservatory Theater in um San Francisco but I I just kept thinking like oh god I just want to be on stage you know really now that I'm a casting director it's like I should have just busted out Broadway I should have gone and banged out Broadway and like really done it but yeah. it didn't happen yeah, our lives take different courses. So let's go backwards a little bit to your conservatory days or even high school. Let's go before. Yeah. Um, still in the Bay Area? Whole life? Bay Area oh. my entire life. I okay. used to come down to Los Angeles because my oldest sister was born on the same day as me, exactly 11 years apart. I was born on her 11th birthday. Oh, wow. She obviously was much older. I yeah. was the youngest of four. She lived down in Orange County. She lived in, She went to USC. I used to my parents would put me on a plane and send me to her apartment by myself. But by the way, PS, it was like her dorm. It wasn't even an apartment. And she would pick me up at LAX and I would sleep on the floor of her dorm. And young MC was an RA with her right below. And I, w- I just was like, I thought, also I thought everyone grew up and went to USC. I didn't understand what was happening. Later like, when I- what is this place that everybody migrates to in their, in their older years, this USC place? I'm always drawn to Los Angeles. Yeah. Just always like drawn to this, the weather, the sparkle. I want to get tan, like the Hollywood. When we, I remember when we moved my sister to USC, my dad drove me down and we went to Universal Studios and I was, my brain like exploded of what the behind the scenes was like. Yeah. Because I had never thought about behind the scenes. I'd only thought about being in front of the camera. And that changed so much for me. 
I, so I, that started planting the seed. And then eventually my sister was like, dude, you need to move down here. What are you doing? And I moved when I was 18 and I never looked back and I've been here, you know. Wow. So, okay. So I want to unfold a couple of those things. So when you moved down here, was it for college? Did your parents expect you to go to college? Was that a decision you made or the conservatory? Were you already clear at this point, you know, by 17, 18, that you were like, my future carte blanche is in either movies, entertainment, something. Was that kind of a clear cut vision for you? Or were you just like, I'm going to move to LA and see what happens? 100% something in entertainment or musical. What I really wanted to do is musical theater and go to NYU. I have like a dark story where, you know, my parents were divorcing. They were waiting for me to leave. I was the last kid. The second I turned 18, they were like, peace. And the first the first weekend I was at college, my dad called me and was like, just so you know, I'm divorcing your mom. We're selling the house and you're never coming home again. So like literally never went back to my childhood. Oh, wow. And I was... I'm guessing they thought that was the best plan. They were holding on for dear life. Yeah. Let's face it. I mean, 30 years and they were, it was obviously, you know, they were holding on for dear life. Um, and... What was my point about this? I guess it was just no. Uh, they didn't. They didn't. My, you know, they didn't think I could do it. My mom was very discouraging, saying, "You know, I don't. College isn't for you. I don't think you're ever going to get in." I mean, not again. Dark stuff here. Yeah. And my dad was always like, "You know, just go apply to everything." And I was like, "Dad, I want to do theater." And he would always say, "Dana, I love it. Don't quit your day job." But he would say that for but, years and years yeah. and years. And it's actually like an age old adage or totally. whatever you call it. But it it sank in differently because I realized, oh, I can't just be, I, w- I had this thing of, I'm never going to be a waitress. Right. That's why I worked at Burke Williams. I was like, I'm going to have a job where I can get my eyebrows done for free <laughs> and like my hair cut and go into auditions and not have to worry about that. Yeah. I'm not going to have people pouring beer on me on the weekends. So... But that I feel like was influenced by my dad because I didn't want to be a cliche. And that led me to And also spa treatments. I mean, that that seems like a smarter, smarter road, honestly. I wish we had all uh, tapped into although a lot of our friends did work with you, but I didn't pick up on that. I dragged dragged everyone in. I was like, Nicole, you know, I I somehow missed this memo. I was sitting there getting beer slung on me left and right. No, but you know what? I kind of wish I had my waitress moment because Mm. it was, I had to grow up so fast. You know, I had to grow up so, so, so fast. Um, I picked CSUN because I was also informed that I was now paying for everything myself. And that was the road I had to go. And I got some scholarships and it was obviously inexpensive. And my sister lived in um, Orange County. So being in Northridge seemed right. And it was, and I remember my college counselor in high school, she said, Dana, you're in every play. You want to be in Los Angeles. I see you do all these things. Look at this place, Cal State Northridge, palm trees and a swimming pool. <laughs> and it was the dorms. And I looked at it and I was like, done. That's where I'm going. <laughs> and I went. You know what though? That's amazing. That takes a lot of bravery to go through a big family upheaval then to be out on your own, then to be told you're not only out on your own, but you're paying for being out on your own. Also trying to live up to some idea that you don't even know if it's a good idea or not a good idea about the day job, but just having something in your mind that set an expectation 
and still conquering it all. I mean, I, I'm, I give you a lot of praise and kudos for that. That's a lot to kind of harbor at 18 years old, you know? It was a lot. I was really resentful. I was, I went through a really, yeah, it was, it was rough, but also, you know, when you're a kid, you just don't know any better. Right. You know what you know. I'm glad that I, obviously I must've had, my parents must've done some things that were good because I had the drive to do it. But also being the youngest, I got to watch my other older siblings do things and fail. So my sister, the first year of college, who she was like a brilliant A plus student, she went to college, totally flipped out on the independence and flunked out in like she takes four, four, four <laughs> months and had to come home. And it was like a big family scandal. Like what happened? And I, I just remember being like taking notes like, oh, okay, not going to do that. Yeah. That one's not going on my resume. <laughs> That's a not follow her in her shoes moment. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it sucked. But, um, I mean, it kicked me in the butt. I had, I had no choice, you know, survival. It's like hardcore survival. How was it for you post-graduate, post-college when it was like get into the real world, find out your chops, find out acting while you're working the day job? Like, how did you feel about that transition into adulthood on your own in a career endeavor you weren't necessarily supposed to be doing? I was just so blind and so dumb, not dumb, just like naive. I just, what happened? Oh, you know what happened is the thing is that I always had casting because I was in an internship in college for General Hospital Soap Opera. I didn't know that. Yes. I, I did actually, not know that. Yeah. I was actually in my sorority at CSUN and I saw this girl next to me, Polly, who Wait, I own. Wait, are my, you a tri Don't I remember seeing you in triple triangles? I'm a tri <laughs> I remember that about, I remember seeing like Tridel gear. I remember that. So embarrassing. So opposite of what I would ever do. And I think that's why I did it because I was a theater girl and I'm like, no one would ever expect me to do this and become a Tridel. And so I did, and it changed the course of my life. So I remember this one girl, her name's Polly. She was at the kitchen table in the morning and I was just there at the house for some reason. And she was going through headshots back in the day when it was like, woo, black and white headshots. And I said, what are you doing? She said, oh, it's, it's my last week on General Hospital soap opera. And I'm, I'm getting signatures for my family. And I'm like, wait, what? My grandma loves General Hospital. I love, I love Young and the Restless. What is happening? She's like, yeah, I'm in RTVF. And I got this internship through RTVF. And then she just looked at me and it's like, it happened yesterday. She's like, you know, I would really like to pass this job onto a sister. Do you want me to get you an interview? Amazing. Is this something you'd be interested in? And this is the upside of being a tri-delt. <laughs> I, I wasn't in a sorority, so I never had anybody going, you know, a sister. And I just was like, yeah. I didn't know what it entailed. I didn't know anything. I just thought, oh, I'm going to be on set. I, I have no idea what's happening. She set up the interview. I went on the interview. It was super awesome. It launched my entire everything for my life. I spent a lot of time just casting. I was in production and then the casting director came up to me in the elevator and, or I was just stuck in the elevator with her, I guess, going down. And she said, you know, you always look like, you know what you're doing around here. You're, I can tell you're this, this person, I'm this person who knows what's up. Please. Can you come work in casting? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, well, I'm an actress. 
okay? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you've heard, but I moved to LA for acting. (laughs) And she was like, great. You're going to learn all about casting, all about everything. And you're going to come and be on set and you're going to learn set etiquette and you're going to work for me. And I said, okay. She's like, just go tell production tomorrow and I'll tell them you work for me now. I was like, okay, bye. Have a nice night. And that was my fortuitous. Wow. When you first got on the job, how did it feel? Were you overwhelmed? Did you feel like, oh, I fit right in here? Did any of it appeal to you as a life scale thing at that time? Or were you just like, this is awesome for what I'm doing. Like I'm here. I have a job. This is rad. I was like, I am home. And no one's ever asked me that. And I've never said that. Yeah. Yeah, I really was. I was home. It made sense to you. It just all kind of fit. Yeah. And I think it's why so much of my relationships are with coworkers because in entertainment, you're in the trenches so hardcore. I mean, you know, like songwriting or whatever, 3am, you've got an idea. And for TV, it's really the same. And we're all coming, the casting crew is all coming from, they were the lead in their high school right. play. You know, right. So we're all theater geeks. Yeah. With yeah. this creative I, vision behind you. Exactly. And that makes a really fun office environment. Yeah, I bet it does. I bet you it can does. sing and dance and do show tunes. And you're just like, it pinched me. Is this real life? Yeah. So yeah, I felt really at home. And then they got me to, I really wanted to go to New York. I never let NYU go, but obviously I couldn't just go going to CSUN. So I got to go on exchange. I went to student exchange center at CSUN and was like, hmm, what's this about? Maybe I'll go to Italy. And then they're like, oh, well, you know, you can go anywhere in, in America and pay Cal State Northridge fees. No way. Didn't know this either. I missed out on my educational opportunities. So I said, awesome. I want to go to New York City. And she was like, okay, you'll go to Hunter College. You start here. And I mean, it just happened. And I, I was, I had no idea about New York. I thought you'd just show up and get an apartment. I was like, okay, great. I'm going to New York. She's like, the only problem is you're going to have to get your own apartment. You don't qualify for the dorms because they've already, you're too late asking to go and they've already accepted all their kids and he's doing a favor by letting you go. So you have to get your own apartment. I was like, duh. Okay. New York, how hard can it be? And I talked about it so much with my bosses, Mark Teschner, who is, you know, the Dean of casting on the West coast. He's still one of my greatest mentors. And I talked about it with them because I was just young and naive. And we talked so much about Broadway together. I was, I said, I, I, I'm going to New York. I don't know what to do. What should I, what should I do? And that him and Gwen just looked at each other. We're going to set you up at ABC. You'll get an internship there. You'll work for one life to live. Oh my gosh. I didn't know any of this about you. I'm so excited. So I, I said, okay, uh, great. I guess I'm like working for one life to live. I don't know what's happening. And it was an intern. I wasn't getting paid. You know, this is all internship stuff. And I was so lucky because literally two weeks before I had to leave to go to Hunter, um, Mark Teschner came to me and said, I just got an email. This was like when emails were, you know, coveted. when they weren't the burden to your whole existence because you had so many to get through you're like i got an email (laughs) yeah it was like 10 emails in a day i got an email from our last intern 
who used to work here a couple years ago. And you know, she was from San Francisco. Anyways, her friend is looking to sublet this place in the village, Greenwich Village. I'm like, what's that? And I just remember he looked at me, he's like, Dana, your whole life's about to change. (laughs) Which is like such an adamant, like poignant, purposeful, perfect statement. Because (laughs) moving to the village is just, it's a life change. (laughs) In the best Yeah, I, I just said, okay, well, what's the village? I knew nothing. And the only way that I got there, by the way, had no money, was my grandma was a psycho General Hospital fan. She used to call my dorm room and leave these messages on my answering machine. Why is Sunny doing that to Brenda? Tell Sunny to stop with Brenda. Can you talk to someone about the plot points? Oh my gosh. And she had this new, she had this new love for me in a way she never had before. And she said, oh my well, gosh, you're going bonding moment. You were now a part of something that was important to her. Super bond. She's, I remember I just called my dad from a payphone. I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to New York. Like, how do I get there? And my grandma overheard the conversation and she just was like, here's what's happening. I'm doing this. I'm going with you. I love New York. I'm so proud of you. I'll, I'll, fl- I'll fly you there and get you settled. I love grandma. And- what's your grandma's name? Angeline. Angeline. Angeline Tomsick. Oh my gosh. I love grandma. I love Angeline. She's a badass original feminist who nobody knew that they were feminists then, but they were, you know, yeah. because they were doing all the work while their husbands were at war. And she was just total badass. Like just, and she saw like, this is going to be a major opportunity. And then all my cousins were jealous and my brothers and sisters were jealous. Like grandma Tomsick never did that for any of us. <laughs> and you're like, listen, uh, you didn't know her love language. It's, you know, General soap opera TV. School. Yeah, generally. Yeah, exactly. Um, how did your parents take that? Did they care when you were like, I'm going to do this exchange. I'm going to New York. Did anybody raise an eyebrow or care? My mom and I weren't talking at the time. Again, to how much time do you have, Candace? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I I ask because, again, these are these life pivots and choices we make that end up shaping so much of who we become. And it's just interesting to know how the people surrounding you in this shape, you know, in this moment of your life, because that says a lot for your own perseverance, right? And that says a lot for your own tenacity and your own willingness to go, I'm going to go bet on myself and give it a shot, even when the people who you probably love the most are like, hmm. No, you're right. And I think this is why my friends have always been my family and your go-to. I mean, I would say for many people, people talk to their friends or go to their friends before they even go to their mom or dad, even if they have a close relationship with their mom and dad. But I had such a strong support system in my job at GH, as we used to call it. Um, And they just believed in me. It was really because of them. They believed in me. And I felt so held by them. And strong in what I had learned and being just in an office environment and being on set, I just was like, okay, I can do this. The hard thing was making the switch. What I wanted to do was audition for Broadway, audition my brains out, but it was very difficult to go back to that because once you're on the other side and you know what people say, the set that what the casting people are saying, the second they walk out the door, <laughs> You're just damaged for life. Yeah. <laughs> damaged. Damaged, damaged, damaged. So that what that are just, some what are some things people say once you leave the give me a, a hypothetical? I'll tell you things I've heard. Okay. I can't put that nose on TV. 
Wow. That was one of the worst. I'll never forget that. Yeah. This was, by the way, this was not at General Hospital or One Life to Live. No, we're talking generals, just the casting world in general. Yeah, yeah. This this was, because I would say the soap world is also really friendly and it's, like in New York, it was this cool thing of you're in a Broadway play and then the casting director saw you and said, oh my gosh, come do a bit part, you know? And then that was exciting for the Broadway person. So there was always like a love and camaraderie. And also if you weren't, like actors provide so much in New York City for casting. They're just, oh, they're just bleeding hearts to be able to be there. And in LA, it's a little bit more of who just stepped off the bus with their suitcase. And so you're sifting through a lot of untrained talent. Right. And as in any job, that can become a source of laughter i mean who are we kidding yeah and yeah like i mean the things you say is like someone leaves and you're like oh my god well she gets to tell her mom at thanksgiving she did that but she didn't get the part you know (laughs) and but also i've seen those people come back in and kick ass and prove me wrong so you never know what's going to happen but yeah i can't put this nose on tv um Oh, the the biggest is like, oh, she reminded me of this girl in high school that I didn't like. Something like that. You know what? I have to be honest. I've wondered that at times, not in myself in an auditioning process, but in the process of, I mean, things come down to humanity all the time when you're like, I just can't shake that it looks or reminds me of a someone, even if they're brilliant. And you're like, I just, I can't shake it. And I can't work with that person. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because there's so many of those you meet somebody and there's it's first impressions all the time. Yeah. And sometimes you put your best foot forward and it's not a good impression to whomever's on the other side. And sometimes you go in and you're like, I don't give two shits about whatever. And all of a sudden they're like, that's exactly the energy we needed to channel. You know? <laughs> and so it's this interesting dialogue of energy on top of talent. Which is why I loved when I was able to make the move to reality TV. Because you are ex- it's a different platform of talent because people are just being themselves. Right. So you get to do almost like what you and I are doing right now. Right. Wow, you grow up? Tell me about this or whatever. And I love interviewing. I love talking to people. And how did that transition happen? Where was this in the, in the timelines of like New York or, or post or CSUN? So I, I came back from New York you know why I came back? You're going to die when I tell you this. <laughs> I was calling our professors on the phone on my landline in my New York City uh, kitchen with my 10 million roommates. And I called the CSUN department. I said, you know what? This theater department just feels whack. And there was a really intense theater teacher there. And she just didn't like me. And I was probably loud and obnoxious. And I don't blame her. But... <laughs> She, I was losing my mind because she talked like this and everything was acting and dramatics. And how does a touch feel? Don't you think a touch means so much more than anything else? When somebody touches you, even just in the hallway, they touch your elbow. It means so much. And I was like, get me out of here. This is a hard now. So I called Jerry. I called Peter Grego. I'm like, guys. (laughs) This is what's happening. 
I can't, I can't hang with this. (laughs) And I forget who it was. I think it was Jerry or it might've been Peter. One of the professors said, all right, Dana, this isn't announced yet. I, I, cause I was trying to decide if I was going to stay another, you know, semester or year. They said, this isn't announced yet. We just got this funding. We're getting in an outside director. If you come back, you can audition. It's going to China. If you get in, right. You will go on an all expenses paid trip to China. And I just was like, okay, I'll be back. I will pack my bags. And I hung up and I remember I told my roommate, I said, I'm going to get in this plane and go to China. And I did. Yeah. Okay, everyone. Today's episode was recorded at and brought to you by Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Raven Sound Studio is a professionally equipped audio production facility offering recording, mixing, and mastering services throughout northern Arizona and surrounding areas. Whether you are looking to cut a demo, record your next single, or have a full album produced, Raven Sound Studio has the tools and skills you need to get the job done. For more information, head to www.ravensoundstudio.com to book a session or schedule a tour. So I came back and that's when I moved into my first kind of big apartment. So that must have been around the time we met because I transferred in. And I think you had just done the China trip. Um, I think when I came in, that play had just toured that area. And you threw the best parties, I will put out there as well, in your apartments in The New Yorker. Which is ironic because you lived in The New Yorker and years down the road, I ended up working for the guy that owned that building in property management. Yeah. And so he'd be like, can you go check out my building? It's called the New Yorker. And I was like, oh, I know the New Yorker. <laughs> I, know, like, I know all about what happens in that building. <laughs> right. Where do you want me to start, buddy? And like, all of it's a good time. And if I don't remember it, it's not my fault. Well, what's crazy is a, wo- a woman, a girl, a person, a student, Melissa Clark, who we were in theater together and we did plays together. I told, I was coming back and she called and said, do you want to be my roommate? And we can live like in studio city or someplace cool and commute to school. And I thought, yes, I want to get closer to Laurel Canyon and the Valley is so cool. And she said, we can have like a grown up apartment. I'm, we're like 12 years old. I'm like, okay, yes, let's do it. So I come back and we look at all these places. She says, you know what? There's this one other place. It's called the New Yorker. My husband's friend DJ lives there. And they went to college together and he can get us in like good with the manager. And that was like Melrose place at the time of the Valley. So that was major. We walked in and I was like, oh my God, yes. DJ, this is just fast forwarding downstairs. Who was my downstairs neighbor later became the person who literally forced me into casting reality television. No way. Okay, this is full circle. I see. I love how this all unfolds. This is why this is like my favorite conversation ever with people. Tell me about your life. And look at how it all gets put back into its own place. Um, Wow. Okay. So you are back in LA. You're back at school at CSUN. You're still casting. You do China, but you're still casting. You're not still casting. I'm taking a break from casting. I'm going back into acting, 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 acting. Okay. Then that summer, the Academy, not that summer, the following summer, um, the Academy of TV, the Academy of TV, you know, I want to thank the Academy, the Academy, they, they put up a thing in the, in the CSUN back when you looked at flyers, right? Oh, what 
the flyer I'm going to look at. And it was this giant flyer and it was, had like an Emmy on it and said the most coveted internship in America. And there were different things like casting, production, animation, PR, all these different things you could interview for or, or go out for. I had no idea that it was this super coveted thing that Yale, Northwestern, all these people are applying for. And, oh, it came with a stipend. So it was a paid internship. Oh, that's always a winner. And I was like, this could be my job for the summer. It was like a really hearty stipend. And I'm going to make the best contacts. I'll just apply and get it. Totally applied. I obviously had Gwen and Mark and probably Julie at One Life to Live write my, write my letters of rec. And trust, you don't know this story? I don't know this story. Please continue. Okay. I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. Um, and I said, okay, I'm going to have them wait. What was I saying? Like they're writing your letters of recommendation. And, and so I made it through the first round of, of, um, weeding out the candidates for the casting portion. And then they said, okay, now it's just coming down to five people in all of the country. And you're one of the five for the casting. You've got a videotape you got to do a tape audition about interview. Dude, this about is yourself. like the first reality show right there. <laughs> like, 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 this is actually a great process for you to go through. <laughs> 100%. I'm like, dude, how am I going to get a video camera? And like, this is intense. And what am I going to wear? And Melissa Carp, bless her. She just busted out. I've got my parents have a video camera. We'll set it up. Going to do it on the tripod. This is going to be amazing for you. Again, roommates, like- yeah is the stuff that helps you. And I, I answered all the questions. One of it was, you know, what's your favorite show? And I was like, sex in the city and all this stuff cut to Elisa. Oh yeah. Also a singer songwriter, um, former singer songwriter, I should say, but has a really cool album. Um, she, I walked into the office to meet them. It was with Mike Fenton, who's the God of all casting. And, Ulrich Dustin Kritzer, who was just coming up in, in scripted. And they, you know, they won, they gave me a pilot to read. They're like, Oh, read this. And it turned out to be nip tuck. And I'm like, wait, this is dark and weird, but I love, love it. it. And then it became nip tuck. So I said, um, I walked in and met, and Elisa was the assistant. So I walked in day one of Mike Fenton. Cause you did like the first half of the summer with Mike Fenton. And then the second half of the summer was with um, Eric Dawson and his team. So you were more movies and then it was TV. So I walked in to meet, meet the casting director. And there is Elisa fresh off the, fresh off the plane from Northwestern, her first assistant job. Wow. Just moved to LA. Wow. And she walks in and she's like, I walk in and she's like, Oh my God. Hi. You were like amazing. And I just, we had, we had this thing. We, yeah, you're kind of like mildly the same person, but I mean, not, you know what I mean? But you have the same energy, same energy, same kind of, you know, by throwing friends. And she, I remember we just talked and talked and I walked out and for some reason, this is another longer story, but they made you start at breakdown services because you had to learn the process of how actors got information about, how they got breakdowns. Yeah. Which now it's all online. So there used to be like an actual location for that. And I, that guy brought me to Mike Fenn. Anyways, when I walked out, he, 
he said, what do you think? And I said, that girl's going to be the, my best friend for the rest of my life. <laughs> you did? That's exactly what you said? Because that's also yeah. very true. And she ended up telling me, guess what? You were a shoe in for the job. And I said, why? She said, Mike made me watch all the tapes. And he said, you're going to have to sit with this person in, the, in a casting office all summer. You're going to have to be doing stuff with, with this person. You pick. Oh my gosh. And she watched all the tapes and she was the deciding person. And she picked me. Oh my gosh. I did not know that. That's Wild. amazing. And then yeah, how did that internship go? And how did that affect your life? It was great. I, it made me nervous, more nervous than ever. Cause these were like the heavy, heavy hitters. I mean, I was there when Mike brought in Wentworth Miller for the first time and he read and Mike, I mean, Mike discovered Drew Barrymore. He yeah. would, it was the, he would let me come in the room. So rarely would, would any casting director let you in the room? Like Mark is very specific. Doesn't let you in the room, Mark Teshner. But, um, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is really hardcore. And I, I put them on a pedestal that was intense. But they were also at Ulrich Dawson Kritzer. I loved them. I loved Carol Kritzer. I loved Eric Dawson. Just talk to me like, um, like a colleague and really taught me. And did you find what they were doing to be, um, intriguing to you? I mean, basically the casting director is the first set of eyes on the future star. I mean, of whatever the project is, they are the person helping bring these people to a place where a director and a team and everybody's going, yeah, yeah, this is our, whomever we're casting, you know what I mean? And you're that first stop. Did that, did that weigh on you? It weighed a lot on me, especially when they started bringing me into finals, like writers and executive producers, final sessions, and we'd go to Warner Brothers. And I was totally freaked out because it's intimidating to be in a room. I mean, we'll still say, I'll still say today, like who I need to hire someone who will be good in a room with me, who isn't going to embarrass me or say something dumb, or you have to really read the room of all those execs to be in place, but also be outspoken. And it's a tough thing. And that intimidated me. And I also felt like, wow, scripted casting is really the director and producers are the ones doing this. And, and casting is doing a lot of, um, contracts. There wasn't a lot of creativity. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Please keep going. You're doing the contracts and making the deals and pulling the favors and believe me, I'm not minimizing casting because I mean, look at Richard Hicks, who I love and adore. He does all these pilots and he's, he finds people from out of nowhere and then makes them into stars. And so there's, there's that element, but there's also a lot of, well, Tom Cruise, it's Tom Cruise right up the contract. And I'd be like, well, that was boring. Yeah. And also it felt like you had to, someone had to die for you to be a casting director. And I, and I saw how they were living. I saw how these casting associates and assistants were living and, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And it made me super nervous. And I felt like, is this what I really want to do? Um, and that's later the reality TV boom hit and it was insane amount of money. My friend DJ was the one who was like, you don't understand. You've been in casting. They will adore you. I'm doing casting you've got to get in on yeah. reality. TV. And you're great with people and you do like all the elements we already talked about, like talking and interviewing and saying, what are you about? And getting to see people for who they are. And if 
who they are is entertaining enough to carry where you're going with it versus I was told Tom Cruise is going to get the lead. Let me get the contract set up. Totally. You're going into people's homes with a camera and getting them to trust you and you're holding them through a sale. And you're also, you're also going to the producers and saying, look, I know that this was the concept of your show, but here's what unfolded in my time with them. And I think the show is going to be around this. And I know you wanted a brother or sister, but let me tell you, they have a cousin and you've got to get the cousin in on this and eliminate the brother. I mean, this is, it's a full, everything fully creative and you're respected and you're, you know, you, I made a ton of money. I couldn't believe the first thing I got in to, I was like, this is my paycheck. Are you kidding? Which, you know, obviously hurts the scripted and union worlds because that was the beginning joke or kind of rub, if you will, on, on, on non-union shows, which is a beast and grosses me out. And there's a hard element to that. Was there ever, or is there ever, or do you battle ever? Sorry, complicated question. Um, do you ever, when you tell people you're in casting of reality TV, is there any like, oh, or is there any, or is there any like, oh, you deal with all the freaks or you deal with all the whatevers? I mean, do you go up against that and go, no, there's really an artistry here in the way we put these things together? All the time. Yeah. And it's what frustrates me so much. And it's why I'm going to start my podcast of behind the scenes with casting and and people of reality television, because there is such a knock. And believe me, I get it. Obviously the reputation, but it's driving our culture. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's driving sales. It's, it's changed a lot. You know, obviously I think that there are some good shows. I grew up on real world. So like real world, New York to me was the most incredible social experiment of a lifetime. I, I thought I the wanna... real world whole, that whole thing was totally exactly that. No one had ever done anything quite like that ever till that came along. Yeah. The, the saying though, is that, or the knowledge, the legend, if you will, is that cops was the first reality show. Ah, yeah. And, I mean, and that, that was what started. I don't know if that counts or not, but in the reality world TV, but yeah, I could see how that would be the first where it's like, Oh, you are tagging along in a real life environment. I could see that is my point. I I still can't believe that there was a way that a production team was able to do that. And I think it was Bertram Van Monster who I worked for later, but I, I think he was the one that did it. I'm not sure. He, could you imagine? You cannot get cops to sign up to that now. Like that was kind of <laughs> not a snowflakes <laughs> chance in hell. No way. As it is, I mean, no. Uh, uh-uh. uh. I can't imagine. Well, what wasn't there recently another ride along kind of cop show that did get canceled for getting in trouble because they didn't show all the footage when they were the crew filming whatever happened, and then at some point it went to a case because of brutality or this or that. And so then the production company got caught up in the middle of all all of it for all of those reasons. I think that was not that long ago. There was some resurgence of a police show that I remember reading about that had something similar, but yeah, I, it's astounding that they ever let it happen in the first place. So people will always say, Oh, like kind of reality or whatever. But then they're always the first ones to come back to me a month later and say, you know, I have this friend in Arkansas and you should really talk. I mean, that's what my entire day has been today is people have pitched me other people and I see something in them. And then I set meetings with them to see what we can create around them or if I can keep them in my roster for another show. So they're, they may, I know. And I'm like tired of the rub, you know, let's just just be nice. Well, and also, I mean, 
indirectly, it's affected so much beyond that because all of our influencing is based on quote unquote reality. As far as like, you know, now people are selling products through Instagram because this real life person is going, look how I use this product in my real life. And I have so many followers for my real life, you know, opposed to everything being scripted, like you said. So, I mean, it really has identified our pop culture in a really broad sense. And it all started with reality TV. Well, let me tell you something. You know what we're not saying now? You know what no one would ever say now when Mm -hmm. someone walks out the room? I can't put that nose on TV. That would never happen in this culture because you know what? Thick, black, white, yellow, green, blue, skinny, get them on TV because it's finally a culture of, oh my God, this is who. Represent everything. Yeah. Represent everything. Yes. Yeah. But obviously you have the different, you know, you have the Kardashians and the Real Housewives, which is, you know, call we call it aspirational. People like to look at that as though they're aspiring to live that life and it's fun to see that. Um, but then there's also, I mean, there's just so many great stories of regular people doing regular stuff. It's why Survivor and Amazing Race work so well. Yeah, I want to race around the world with my best friend who yeah. I'm fighting with over a guy. You know, it was like a, a twist. I would love to be on that show. I would love to race around the world with my best friend and not fight over a guy. But yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It appeals to all of us on some level somewhere for something, whether it's the travel shows, whether it's the surviving shows, whether it's just our network of girlfriends or, you know, marriages or siblings or any of these things people relate to all the time. And they feel by my 600 pound life, you know, there's stuff where people are being shown things that they are, have gone through themselves. And in some capacity, it makes them feel either more comfortable or more normal or more accepting of themselves because other people are that way too. And we all, we lean, I mean, that's exactly why you said we lean to our girlfriends and our friends anyway, in decisions and other things, because we want that feeling of community and want to feel like we're embraced in the decisions we make. And reality TV, TV helps shed a light on that in many ways. Well, and people knock the Kardashians or try to pretend like they don't like them. And they're the most popular human beings on planet Earth. But look at what they did. We can have butts now. Yeah. Women are allowed to have butts and boobs and arms. And, you know, I know that it's gone a little off the, like, the doll, you know, that's thin waist and that part's kind of weird. But that was kind of a major thing for, for women. Yeah. Like, yeah. I have a butt. I look at butts. And also watching women have babies and then get their bodies back and have to, you know, go create. I mean, my argument for the Kardashians is always that when people say, oh, they get paid for doing nothing. I'm like, whether you would like to admit it or not, they work really hard. <laughs> they work really hard at looking like they're doing nothing. Um, you know. Well, we also have a saying in the business that what makes the Kardashians work is at the end of the day, it's a story about a mom and her daughters and their kids because they are flying on jets and they're doing this, but then you see them get in these fights or get pissed off at each other about a bag or a purse. And you're like, oh my God, that's my mom. Oh my God, that's my dad. It's really about just about a family is how it started. Yeah. You know, I haven't really, I don't know what the brand is like now, but. <laughs> Fair enough. So you jump into real life, um, you know, reality TV casting. You jump in, the check is big, you're stoked. At what point did you start to go like, Oh no, I can really, I mean, I know that at this point you've done casting and you're probably like, this is a family and I am good at this. But at what point did you start to go, I think this is the road versus let's say a Broadway, you know, acting grind. 
Well, truly, I like any job that I would imagine an accountant gets into. It's like, did you really want to be an accountant sitting at a desk? While I loved it, I, I, you have to understand, I put myself through college. So I had major bills. I, I, I needed to pay the rent. I, yeah. I had to, I had to pay the rent. I had to get, pay my car. I mean, this is not easy. You had life, real life. A woman to do that in their twenties and thirties. And I just, I love the people. It was a, it was a win-win. Obviously I would have liked to, I don't know, obviously, but yeah, I just, there wasn't time to stop. I did stop in between scripted and reality. And I did the whole gig singing thing, a band, the auditions. And I just didn't like that life. I hate, I can't handle rejection. I admire all these people who can be rejected. I was talking. Oh, I'm really good at it. (laughs) Right? Yeah. No. Yeah. I say that out of actual like fact things that you need to be self-aware about. I am the person that walks out of the room. And if the casting director is snickering behind my back, I could care less. And I don't assume that they are. I'm just like, eh. So much, so many times it comes down to hair color or do you work with this other person or is obviously in your situation, it's, well, we already have a sound like hers that we're going to put on stage and bummer, but let's keep her for the next one, which is the best part about auditioning because there, I don't think there's one person I've seen that I don't think about for something else. I walked into a casting room once for a Doritos commercial and they wanted someone who could fall off a horse in a technical way. And you know, I ride horses and I've ridden my whole life and I could figure out how to fall off a horse just fine. Um, and so they said, but they wanted a legitimate equestrian. So I came in my legitimate clothes, <laughs> like my working riding clothes, my boots, my britches. And I was ready. And they were like, smile at the camera, go over a jump on your horse, hold up a Doritos bag. And then when you land, you have to fall, <laughs> which is amazing, right? Dad. Oh my God. <clears throat> I walk in, I'm only five foot two. I walk in <laughs> and there is 50, five foot, six, seven, eight, nine, ten models, all legs, in designer boots with heels, designer Ralph Lauren britches that are not meant to ever sit on a horse. And I'm sitting in this room going, there, how am I even here? Like, There is not one woman in this room that's ever ridden a horse in her life, first of all. Second of all, I'm not booking this commercial. Like, that's not happening right now. Right. Like, it's evident. I mean, I think Heidi Klum has it over me over there, you know? Right. So, I, but it was funny because I walked in, I laughed, it was humor. I walked out, never gave it a second thought. I ultimately saw the commercial however many months later, and nobody ended up falling off the horse, and it was all CGI'd and this and that and whatever. And I was like, okay, so they never needed an equestrian person to begin with. I say all this in the to be of the point of, like, rejection is a thing because this more often than not, and I can't speak to the reality TV world, but more often than that, you're put in circumstances where it has nothing to do with you, which is like you said, they're like, okay, she's the real deal. She's five foot two and probably really rides horses. But Heidi Klum over here has a really great face for the Doritos product. And maybe we'll just change it and we don't need real horses anymore. You know, and that's how it all winds out. And I I guess that's where like I common sense wise was like, yeah, it's not about me. I'm out the door for other people. That's very hard. Yeah. But can I say something about you is that you grew up in Los Angeles. Your dad was a producer. I think you had a little more grit about the business. Probably. That's a very fair statement. Yeah. Yeah. I think you had a little more grit, but also I do think having that being able to be rejected is a talent because I was just recently talking to a, a, TV star, a friend of mine who everyone knows. 
And uh, she was asking me about it. Like, why didn't you do it? I said, you know what? I just could not deal with rejection. I'm always like, well, why? Well, what do you mean? I'm the best person for this part. Or why did she get it? And, and she said the same thing. You know what? I don't even like, I auditioned, I auditioned for frozen. I didn't get it. I don't, I just remembered that. Yeah. Yeah, It's a different wiring. It's a different wiring. I think. I looked at her and I was genuine. I said, okay, then that's, yeah, that's why it works for you. Yeah. It's interesting, but I think that's a really important thing as far as bringing to the table and a self-awareness and learning the things that we're naturally gifted at and naturally good at and how those things work together, maybe in different ways than we thought our our own eyes saw. You know, you're like, I'm a Dina Menzel. I'm classically trained. I love Broadway. I love the stage. At the same time, those same gifts are what probably make you so beautifully empathetic and visually so, you know, capable of seeing the potential in other people. You know what I mean? Yes. And- oh, yeah, 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 of course. And it's just fun. I I mean, it's really gotten to a place now where I can walk into any room or into any home and I'm like, oh my God, sad. Her her son died a long time ago. Oh my gosh, he had cancer. Because I'm like my spidey sense of just looking at things in homes and knowing about people and the way their energy comes to me or things that they say, I know everything about their life. It's it's wild. Wild. Yeah, yeah. You just it's like soak trip. it in. It's, it is, <laughs> it's more than that. It's it's my superpower. Yeah. I can someone can walk in a room and they'll talk to me about their life and I know exactly what happened to them in their childhood. And I'm always right. And look, it comes down to, well, look, I'm I'm 99% right. We I end up finding out these things too, because a lot of times we have to get psychiatrists on the set. Right. who do MMPIs and do like extensive background checks and extensive this. And it's like, yep, yep, yep. Called that, called that. People will be like, how'd you know she had a DUI? I'm like, have you, have you seen her Instagram? She had a DUI. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You're all, I mean, we got to call a spade a spade. Like this is the life we live, live you know? Come on guys. I love it though. This is my favorite party trick ever. I want to bring you everywhere and go just size them up. But what an incredible education with natural instincts, but also learning. And I also love hearing that there are, you guys do employ, you know, psychologists and whatnot to talk with people in this journey of, you know, putting your life on TV and having a sense of like, there are psychological effects or there are heavy weights that you're going to have to deal with and be able to process in an appropriate way as you share yourself with the world. That's actually, I didn't know that. And that's really cool. Which, if you did, you see Fake Famous? No. Documentary? Okay, well, you got to see it. Okay. Um, I'm spoiler alert. The show didn't work. the The movie didn't work. The doc didn't work. And I'm I'm sorry. They it was their work, and I'm sure they did. Uh, you know, there were. Ma- I'm still talking about it, so it must have worked on some level because I I talk about this sh- with a lot of people in reality TV. They brought in non reality TV casting directors, and they were doing a social experiment with people they wanted to turn into influencers. So it was real people. They were going to turn into influencers and people don't get like, you can't just do a one or two audition. You have to background check. You have to bring in a psychiatrist who talks with them to make sure they're of sound mind, body, and soul. Like you can't just, that's why when people always say like, Oh my God, you work with, you put crazy people on TV. I'm like, no, I don't. They're educated, everyday people, whether they're educated at, at, at Harvard or they're educated in, they were the best 
hairdresser their entire life. And that is what they do is their craft and they're the best at it. So yeah. And it, it didn't work because the show, one guy unraveled, I keep calling a show as a documentary. Um, one guy totally unraveled and had anxiety and was like, this does, isn't for me. And another guy who I knew right away when they cast him was too cool. He was too cool. and didn't want to do the experiment, which has, I've been, I only know because I've been burned a thousand times of you get the cool guy and he comes on and he thinks he's going to do a different show. Yeah. You're not going to, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about my whatever. Yeah. You're like, well, that's not why you're here. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it's a bummer. It yeah. happens on shows, but they got burned because I, I think they didn't bring any reality producers or casting directors in on it. Interesting. But I do love the behind scenes knowledge of what you do, because I think that says, I mean, I think that in my opinion, adds so much credibility to what you do when people are giving it the rub or the, you know, the like, mm, you're like, no, 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 we're going beyond we're, we're, we're doing our work, social work to provide the entertainment you are inevitably going to watch. Yeah. Which I mean, look, we've had to turn people down who you could tell from their past, it could have been something from 10 years ago, but if it was something personal, like a lot of times there'll be, I don't know if I can say it. So I'm trying to find a way to say it, but if something psychologically happened to them yeah. in their life, like maybe they uh, had attempted suicide or thought about suicide, you know, we just, we wouldn't put that person in a house yeah. full of people and yeah. or the stressful environment. Cause it is a very stressful environment and they're going to be living with other people. And it's not about other people. It's about them. You want the best thing for them and you want to get the best thing out of them. You, this is supposed to be fun. Right. You know, how did you transition? First, you made the transition into reality TV because of DJ. How did you transition into becoming your own casting mogul Mecca on your own? Well, it was kind of at the advent of everybody, like the top casting people in reality TV, um, <laughs> making their own corporations. And it happened really almost on accident. I mean, guess not. It just, I, people just started coming to me for everything. Yeah. And finally I was like, I got to put people on payroll. I got to get a, I have to incorporate. Then it was like, you know, I remember one of my people at Bravo were like, are you going to start a website? I need you to start a website. And can you have a casting name? And I was like Googling how to start a company, how to. <laughs> I love hearing that though, because I think the average person, myself included, is like, how did you do that? And it's nice to hear you go, I figured it out the same way. Every, um, how do I do this? I talk to lawyers because I do so many deals with lawyers too, is then writing contracts, I, I I just was like, dude, I I need like an accountant who sets this up. And someone's like, oh, go to my guy, you know, which you're lucky enough to be in the room with those people for a while or, or get to have those people. They, someone set me up with an accountant. He was like, here's how it's going to run. This could be your corp. I'm so excited to see you start. You're, you know, this is going to be huge for you. And you're just like, what am I doing? I was terrified. Yeah. I had no idea. And yet like, here you are people, being a badass. <sighs> I mean, am I though? You I are, because I want to talk about one other thing is being this professional that has taken on a business life and, you know, shaping entertainment. You're also a mom. How does it work for you being a mom? Well, I mean, and COVID is obviously changing everything, but a working parent, a female working parent, a step parent, a biological parent. Um, how do you balance those things? And I ask these questions because the people that are listening and young and coming up and wanting to figure out what they want to do in this crazy industry of the artist creative world. And, you know, we're complex creatures as women because, and not that men aren't, but we have this other side of us that 
is guided, tied to, you know, empathetically like linked, genetically linked to our, (laughs) you know, people that we're raising on top of carrying the weight of other people's feelings and other people's psychology and going into these shows. How do you manage it? How is it going? How is the transition into that? It's the hardest thing ever. It's just so hard. I mean, you can't have it all. In COVID specifically, you're either giving up something with your job that day or you're giving up something with your child that day. You're going to, oh, who am I going to fail today? Luckily, that ended for us a while ago because my stepdaughter is super efficient, 14-year-old, amazing kid who can do everything at home by herself. And my son, who's five, he can, he's back in school. So when that stopped, it was great. But a couple of things, it really helps. It helps in, in reality TV or just in the workforce. Like I'm a young mom. Okay. My kid's five. Yeah. Guess what? I'm a stepmom. I live in a, I'm in a blended family. I deal with lots of different things. And that's a whole nother layer that I can speak to. Guess what? I'm also, um, I'm also, what was going to be the next thing I was going to say? That's what happens after you're you become a mom. You're a partner you too. I mean, as well. You're a partner. You're, you, yeah. But so I have, being in a marriage, all of these different life experiences. I mean, many times I will hire people. I'll say, look, I need someone who's sharing an apartment with four people is what I'm thinking. Because I want that person who's hungry, who's going to like work and be awesome. And I can make them into my next protege, like someone who's going to work for me. Like, I love that person who comes to me and is like, I don't know what I'm, and I'm like, I'm going to make you awesome. Yeah. Like I'm going to teach you everything about this business and here's what's going to happen. Um, so it's helpful. It's helpful being a mom sometimes in, in the, in a room, if you will, because I can say, well, you know, this was happening in my kid's school or whatever. And I just, I love talking about all that stuff, but in COVID dude, I am home with my husband who also works in the same business with me. And I hear him on the phone with the head of a network and chief, our son chief will come in and daddy, (laughs) everyone's like, like, Oh, so cute. Oh, you're such a good dad. Oh, Oh, I want to talk to chief or blah, blah, blah. I will be doing the same exact phone call 10 minutes later, different network, different set of people. Oh, it sounds like you got your hands full. I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm sorry. You're praising my husband. And I, you have to work so much harder when you're a mom, so much harder, but you also have these boundaries you never had before. So shows will come up and I, I'm like, you know what? I don't want my name on that. I don't want my kids doing yeah. that. Doesn't, feel, doesn't tie to my morals, yeah. um, which actually that started a long time ago for me, but there are many things that you, you say no to. Yeah. And it feels liberating. I would imagine it's empowering to to take pride in what you do and, and draw the lines of what you're okay with and not okay with and put your name on something with pride. I, I think we all learn as we grow up and especially when we become mothers. And now we have this like mother bear lion instinct over our own nature that's protective of our children's nature because we do. We want them to be proud of us. We want them to look up and look back and go, my mom was badass and did all these great things and had pride in what she did and and made a, you know, a dent in an industry with class and, you know, with with choices instead of just following a stream, a school of fish, you know. I think that's really great, Dana. I think that I love hearing that oh, from you. You're sweet. Well, it's also, you know, I've been interviewing moms for years since I was a single girl. 
and a single young woman. And it's so different interviewing moms now because you're just, once you become a mom, you're so just a bleeding heart. Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, and it's also, there's a trust factor there because obviously I would never, I'm bringing a family onto a project or a mom onto a project because it's going to be great for them. There's no element of, oh my God, you know, it's not going to be right for this. If something's not right for the family, I'm like, I just can't do this for this kid. This isn't going to work because I can tell. Right. You, so you're more empathetic, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. May I ask you a few questions I ask everybody? Yes. Okay. With the journey that you have had so far and with, with the like really interesting and fun, I'm so glad I've gotten to hear them all, but the, the fun left and right turns, the going to New York, the wanting to be an actress, shifting to casting, supporting yourself, having your family go through the things they went through and, and how that in turn shaped how you had to do what you were going to do through your future. What is something you would tell your younger self? Oh, just hang on, girl. Keep going. I, I think I would just, I wish I could stress less. I would tell myself not to stress and loosen up and have fun. And believe me, I had a lot of fun. You were there. Yes. <laughs> but but the, I worried so much. I worried, how was I going to pay my rent? How was, I mean, I, do you know how many times I was almost evicted? Like that was, that is a serious thing. My name was on everything. I couldn't, I would tell myself not to stress that it would work. It's going to work out is what I would say. Yeah. Keep going. What would you say has been a career high and a career low? <sighs> I should have read these questions first. <laughs> it's okay. There's no pressure around them. <laughs> You're like, oh God, my my authentic self where I come not overly prepared is kicking me in the ass right now. No, I'm <laughs> like, look at me. I'm so, I'm so cool. I'm not gonna prepare. Um, now I'm like not going to sleep for two days. <laughs> no, like, gosh, no. Say that on the creative convergence. Um, so the okay, say the questions again. Who the, the highest and the lowest? Uh, yeah, okay, well, career highs, career lows. The highest, uh, one of the highest, I guess I would say, is doing Scream Queens, which blended acting and reality TV, and I I found. Um, some major serious talent that went on to do a lot of other acting and, and whatnot. And it was a, it was a, it was a horror show competition. Yeah. And that show like leaped me forward into really being a boss, finding talent. And I got to use both aspects. Also long lost family, which was ridiculously amazing, like matching people before ancestry.com helping people find their long lost dad or whatever was I just was That's like, amazing. I, want, yeah. I want to be on the show forever. I mean, I still talk to some of those people who are, you know, so-and-so in Iowa and she will still reach out to me at Christmas and it's like, because of you and you hunting me down, I speak to my birth mom. Like the gift you gave me is incredible. You can't put a price on that. No, that's can't. amazing. So those are career highs, career lows. I think... The career low, you know, sticking your foot in your mouth. I mean, how many times have I stuck my foot in my mouth? It's in the beginning. I did. I, yeah. I, I am now. I'm, at a I'm laughing because I I feel like that is a universal statement. I mean, we all just in in the growing, you know, <laughs> in the journey of growing, we all have our moments where we're like, oh, really? I know. I think I'm just now getting over some of these things. I don't think about them in the middle of the night, but 
I've stuck my foot in my mouth a couple times. I gave opinions that maybe I should have just been quiet sometimes, but I'm not, you know, it's why I work. It's why I work. It's why the people who hire me, hire me is because I'm opinionated and I say what I need to say. So now I'm at an age where I can do that. But I think, yeah, a career, a career low has been sticking my foot in my mouth, which I, I can't think of too. I'm, I'm not going to say what they were because I just, it's okay. Know. We don't want to, I don't want you to relive. I don't want you to relive them on my account. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah thinking I knew more than I did. And yeah. we, that was when I was younger. I said a lot of stupid things. Like I said to an executive once, well, he said, this, this actress is not going to be on the show. And this was the, uh, a competition series, an acting competition series that was reality TV. And I, I just said, oh, no, actually, she's on the show. She's going to be on, so sorry. And he was not happy with that. And I was saying it not like, hey, buddy, I'm telling you, but if you don't know my personality, right. I'm like, guess what? I'm going to eventually convince you she needs to be on. Right. You know, like in three weeks, I'm right. going to bring her to finals and you're going to see because that's what I do. And I had to apologize to him. Like the executive producers came to me and they're like, hey, you just told so-and-so, like you just were just said to him, like, this is what's going to happen on his own show. And I was like, oh my you're God. I had- that's not exactly how I meant it. it was- <laughs> I didn't write an email apology. You're, how was that sitting down? You're like, dear so-and-so. So when I said, <laughs> here's what I meant, but even if I meant that, I'm I'm sorry. Like, how did you dig your way? Out? How did you back out of that? No, I mean, that's also the or best part. did you just part. say, I'm like, sorry? Yeah. Saying I'm sorry is what Laura teaches you how to be a person in business who can admit their mistakes. So it's like, those are also some of the best things. Um, also a career low when I was an intern at General Hospital, I stepped back. I was talking to Billy Warlock in the corner and I stepped back with these big, remember those big platform shoes I used to wear? Yes, I do. On, onto Vanessa Marcel, known as Brenda on the show, onto her wedding dress that they were trying to like win Emmys for. And it was her train and she kept walking and I was on this, it was this lace perfect thing and I stepped on it and she kept walking and it just ripped. <gasps> and I ran upstairs took the elevator, ran upstairs, told my boss right away and said, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And, and she was like, so I already heard. <laughs> I just went up like three like someone called her on a phone, you know? And, and she said, it's okay. You're not going to be fired, but here's what's going to happen. You know? And then, and then Vanessa Marcel talked about it on E or entertainment tonight or something. She said, oh, this poor intern stepped on my dress and ripped the whole thing because there was a whole segment about like the wedding gown. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed this story. So I'm glad it happened. <laughs> Even though I, do, I don't, you know, want you to relive that moment, but <laughs> no, there are some doozies. I mean, look, you haven't lived life if you don't have any doozies like that. That I couldn't agree with more. Um, that's the truth. That is how we learn and evolve and turn into the people we're supposed to be. Um, what would you say, is your definition of success and has it changed for you from any other time in your life till now? Is it an ongoing transforming word for you? Oh my gosh. This is my, one of my favorite things to talk about because how do you measure success? Exactly. That's why it's an interesting question, right? Cannot measure it. I was successful eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in a New York apartment juggling grades and internship and how to navigate a new city and didn't know what I was doing. That was a success. 
you know, I, there's, there are public school teachers who live in a small home and have to, you know, teach their kids and do stuff on zoom success. Yeah. So I don't think there's any point in my life that I was like, oh my gosh, or I don't look at myself and like, I'm so successful. Cause sometimes I do, I say no to a lot of stuff where I don't get called for some of the bigger jobs and I get frustrated. I'm like, oh, I should have done that. And I'm like, no, you know what? Success. Yeah. Like still going, still evolving my career, still doing things. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I think there's so much weight in that answer because the reality is, is we can only do the best we can do and give our best foot forward and make the choices we make. And if we're doing that authentically, we are a success. If we're moving forward and continually growing, we are successfully living a life. And think of, think of all the successes you don't get to see, or some people don't get to witness a single mom who raises a young boy who, you know, later in life, she dies, he grows up to be some incredible speaker or scientist or human being. And that was because of the mom and that was a success and she never saw that part. So right. it was a success the whole time. Yeah, I agree. I love that outlook. I think that's an, I think that's an outlook that if more people embraced, we'd have happier people. You know what I mean? Because I think that oftentimes we are measuring ourselves against things that perhaps are not attainable in our personal circumstance. But if we're coming at our experience going, well, that's there, there, and that's them, and I'm doing this, and it's moving forward, and I'm going to embrace my life as successful, I think we become happier with who we are and the choices we make. So I love that answer. It's so true. I'm trying to think. I don't think I have anything. Oh, I know what else I wanted to ask you before we go. Do you think we'll see a return to the stage? Oh, with me? Yeah. Oh my God. Are you kidding? Yes. I'm dying to play Mama Rose. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I would love to see you as Mama Rose. I'm constantly like, oh my God, I could be Mama Rose right now. I could do this. Andrew jokes all the time. Like, I can't wait till we retire to Palm Springs and you're 80 and you're doing like Annie, Oklahoma. I'm like, I will be. I tell everybody I'm going to own, you know, I'll be 80 with some old piano bars sitting there just with a cane singing old standards, like, you know, whatever it is. Cause that's exactly, that's who we're going to be. And you know what? Success. Success. I might look at that person and go, you know what? That's so sad. She's old. She has a cane and she's singing standards. Like, you know what? Success. Fabulous life. I can't wait. I'm like already ready for, I'm already putting it out there. I can't wait to be that person. Yeah. Oh, one, I totally, I'll, I'll be back whether it's, you know, well, I'm on stage every day with my kids. You know, I could perform yes. the entire frozen or the entire rent. My like chief can sing everything about AIDS in the eighties because <laughs> I, my performances. everything starts with a musical tune. Oh, Dana, I enjoy you so much. <laughs> Love you. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you for talking to me about your expansive, incredible career that I'm so proud of. Oh my God. Thanks for caring. Yeah. And when, when, uh, you do launch your podcast, I would love to help cross promote and let people know that they can find it and listen to it. In the meantime, where should people follow you or look you up without harassing you? Cause you are a casting director. We do not want that. That's not what we're advocating for, but if people wanted to look you up or follow you or, or find out more about you, where should they go? I'm totally okay with that. Actually. A lot of times I like the people who are bold enough to reach out and email me. So I have a website, dltcasting.com. My email's on there. Um, you can email me and yeah. Okay. We'll put it in Instagram. Duh. 
Yeah. What's my, like, um, at DLT casting is one of my Instagrams. So there's okay. not a whole lot on there, but I'll, I'll find you on there. You'll find me or whatever. It's how we cast now. It's all Instagram. Wow. Okay. Well then we'll put those up and we'll promote and we'll let it people know. We'll say don't harass her, but if you feel inclined. <laughs> yeah. I get a lot of, because I was on a podcast in 2017 about reality TV casting and I get a lot of really great people right in and say like, I heard you and I don't know, can you talk to me about it? I'm like, yes, I will talk to you about it because I was that person. Yeah. Nice. All right. I don't, you know, I don't have time for everyone, but I I love you so much. Thank you for being my guest, Dana. I love you. I won't talk to everybody, but I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, we should probably call it a day, but find me when you're ready to launch your podcast because I will tune in and I will help promote. I love you. I love you you too. Have a wonderful day and kiss your beautiful family for me. Oh, bye. Bye. Today's podcast is brought to you by one of our awesome sponsors, New Belgium. One of their beers, Voodoo Ranger IPA, is a favorite here at the Creative Convergence. Voodoo Ranger IPA is perfectly balanced with notes of guava, mango, and pineapple with a delicately bitter finish. For beer news and occasional mediocre advice, follow at Voodoo Ranger on Twitter and Instagram, where you will hear about what's new and where you can find Voodoo Ranger near you. Voodoo Ranger IPA. Drink responsibly. Live rangerously. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member. Get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programming. Your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.